Hello everyone and thank you for the download. It's Friday, May 24th, and this is episode 9 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassy, and today I'm joined by my co-host, the Sultan of Saki. What's up, Josh? Hey guys. And Skipper Ben. How's it going, Ben? Hey guys, how are you doing? <laughs> I haven't talked to you in a while. Well, let's see. Uh, since is that Backdoor last... Disney? Yes. <laughs> it's, that or, it's, it's that or our last recording. <laughs> Possible. Uh, live from San Quentin. <laughs> yes. Uh, since we last spoke, uh, let's see, Josh, you bought 17 cars. I bought a handful of houses. Ben, what have you been buying? <laughs> Funyuns? Uh, lots, of, <laughs> lots of Funyuns. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So In my had... defense, I'm, down, I'm, I'm back down to only one car. So unless anyone... <laughs> This is not an episode of Cribs here. This is just a moron that bought a car and then traded it in because he hated it. <laughs> when are you going to share some of the Amazon money from this show with me? This, Jesus. 17 cars. <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about. Our, uh, our massive, massive show. Amazon proceeds. By the way, go to the uh, Amazon link on martycall.com. Um, so we have a couple of news items that are more rumor items. Uh, and we have a... Blue Sky session at the end of this discussing what we would have done with the great movie ride. But uh, why don't we hit some of these news items right off the, t- right off the bat. Uh, our beloved friend, Tom Corliss, uh, has indicated Disney is looking into making what they're referring to as a black box attraction. He has stated that it's a trackless and largely screen-based attraction uh, to go into Hollywood Studios, and it would allow for easy transformations where they could re-theme it very quickly. Uh, other people like Martin Smith have downplayed played this and said that they're uh, probably not going to be the trackless ride system that Corliss is talking about. It may not even be a ride, but some sort of black box theater like we already have uh, that currently has the Cars attraction, but some way to make interchangeable attractions or, or quickly changed attractions to consistently keep the parks fresh. Aren't so all I'm, theaters basically black boxes? I mean, isn't that the whole point? Yes, and we have the uh, temporary Beauty and the Beast show over in the studios that's been running for 62 years. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, lo- I love the idea of things that can be changed every two years, but they don't do that. They change them every 20 or five, 20 or 30 years. But um, I know you guys read this article. You probably have some thoughts on it. Uh, why don't you, uh, why don't you jump in? Uh, I know Josh, you said you had some, some thoughts on where this is possibly going. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just start off for the sake of, uh, you know, completeness and fairness. We don't have a lot of information we have, no. um, you know, speculation, but just based on that, I will say that, you know, to me, someone who's not an Imagineer, it seems to me that the way you would build a great attraction would be the same way that you do almost anything that ends up being great in the world, which is you you start with having a great objective in mind. Mm-hmm. And if the predominant objective of this type of attraction is that it's changeable, as opposed to being great at anything, and that immediately <laughs> sets off red flags in my mind as being that it's going to be incredibly compromised. Um, you know, and, and this is a, a delicate balancing act. I get that. Um, I understand why, you know, obviously there's corporate interests here and economic concerns and they want to be able to uh, be somewhat nimble and appeal to an audience that might have changing preferences over time. And I totally get that. And I think that uh, that is absolutely uh, a reasonable consideration for them to make. And to that end, I think that their their engineering and, and design thoughts and their creative thoughts should be contemplating how do we create great attractions that also have this level of flexibility. What I kind of hope is that this was a very high-level thought that got released and turned into a rumor, and not that uh, you know this is going to be the way that things are done moving forward. Because I think that 
you know, it's almost like a carnival attraction as opposed to a permanent installation. You know, it's just, there's obviously things that can be done if, if, if you're willing to tie up the space in a rigid manner that you can't do if you need this, if you need it to be a convention center where in 72 hours you clear it out and it's a, you know, a blank slate for something else to go in. So that's, that's my concern. But I, I sort of temper that with the fact that I don't think we really have enough data uh, you know, not. to get too worried about it. And I, and quite frankly, between pretty much anyone and Martin Smith, I'm going to have a pretty strong tendency to trust what Martin Smith says <laughs> because he's got a very good track record. So I think it, it's a grain of salt at this point. It's maybe fodder to discuss, but I, I don't think step one can be, let's make a black box. And then step two, let's say we can create what we can cram into it. Um, I, I guess that's really all I have to say about that. I think you've hit on the the biggest flaw here that if you've got a purpose built attraction and a purpose built area that is more apt to be that is more likely to be a classic attraction 20 30 years from now and if they're not striving for that that's all well and good they can look at something that is intended to be a sea ticket attraction um for me personally if i'm kind of gauging attractions like a stage show or a purpose-built uh, uh, dark ride or something like that. I think most stage shows, no matter how elaborate they are, for most people are kind of on par with like a C or D ticket ride. Uh, yep. And that's where I think this is a better approach, where you have a black box theater where you have a show that has maybe a two-year runtime, and maybe even you put two of these theaters in the studios, and they kind of have these already. They're just leaving shows in there for 30 years. But you can do things like that, maybe limited run parades with flexible float chassis that can uh, bring in whatever the latest, greatest uh, intellectual property is. Or if people want to see, we'll use Frozen 2 because it's coming out, or Toy Story 4. If they want to see those characters, uh, you can have them day and date with the movie coming out. Um, yeah. And if you have dedicated areas that are there for meet and greets that can be forever interchangeable, uh, those types of things satisfy that until you get the true realization that, all right, this is a franchise that needs more. Uh, Toy right. Story and Frozen aren't necessarily the best examples of it, but let's use Moana from a couple of years ago, where you didn't necessarily know if Moana was going to be a good attraction, but if you had prepped a stage show to go with the uh, the movie's release and a uh, larger scale meet and greet in a dedicated area, perhaps you could have that and be ready to go when the attraction opens up at minimal cost. And you could probably also not have it be an expense to the theme parks. Uh, and granted, it's all one company, but you could have have it be part of the movie promotion and have it be part of the advertising budget for the movie. So you're almost getting free things in the parks at the cost of the uh, the movie advertising budget. Yeah, it's almost almost a little like dating before you get married. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, see, exactly. Test the water and see what the reaction is before you you plunk up. Because, I, I mean, I, I guess it's sort of inevitable that as the price of a e ticket goes up, you, you know, and the, you know the numbers here are just astronomical. That there's going to have to be some more careful thought going into re to greenlighting them, just because sure. that you know you're almost. I'm not going to say Disney's betting the company on a new e ticket, but I mean the the you know, the consequences of investing half a billion dollars into something and have it be a flop is, is pretty severe. And if you're a C-level executive and you have a couple of those in a row, you're probably not going to be there for very long. I, I definitely fear that something like this just encourages laziness on the yeah. uh, design side, yeah. uh, especially if you're going to be putting the latest IP in a, a in something like this. The imagine well, not the Imagineers, the, the corporation will uh, – 
you know, they'll, they'll take the excitement and the popularity of that IP and the crowds that that will draw and justify that attraction being a success because people are going to see that that thing that's popular at the moment, not going there because the attraction is actually any good. And by doing that and and, and doing it on a digital scale, doing it with uh, it, I hate to say it comes off cheap because I'm sure it's going to be you know whatever they would end up doing if they're doing it this way. Uh, it's obviously not cheap, but uh, in the grand scheme of things of actually you know building out full attractions, the classic stuff that we're used to, this seems like a uh, a way that just it's not inspiring, it's not creative. And, you know, also if this has a track layout, say this is a ride system that's in there and they are truly keeping the, the ride system in there, but they change the scenery around that. When has that ever really worked at a Disney attraction where we thought the second version was better than the first version? Uh, things like Frozen, things like the uh, reimagining of Test Track. There's always been complaints. It's very rare. On those things. So it's Superstar Limo. Yeah, that's the only one that I can think of. <laughs> but they're thinking of doing this time after time, after time, after time, after time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's not doing something like that in the parks does not have a successful track record for them to think this is a good idea. Uh, was that a pun? <laughs> Boom. Uh, <laughs> trackless record. Uh, but, but you know, if it's something I, we've talked about it before, like the black, I consider it a black box experience, the uh, Jack Sparrow, uh, yeah. attraction that they had at the studio several years ago to test out new technology before they put it into another attraction. I have zero problem with something like that. I actually enjoyed that attraction. My, my daughters were talking about it the other day, just out of nowhere uh, because they got picked to be in the show and they thought it was really cool. Something like that. That's a, you know, what we've kind of thought that could be going into Epcot as well in the play pavilion yeah. where they're testing out things that they want to do on a larger scale. I'm, I'm very much okay with that, but to use something like this as an excuse to, kind of do a major new attraction again on the cheap or on the easy. I'm, I'm not okay with that. When you Got say it. that Jack Sparrow thing, that's like an A or B ticket diversion type attraction. There is no dark ride in the Disney parks that is considered anything below a C, uh, a C ticket attraction. And I know that these are kind of arbitrary monikers that Disney used to use, but just think of scope and scale. Uh, the uh, devil's advocate uh, in me would say we may be seeing some of these possibilities or the flexibility of uh, projection tech and uh, screen-based attractions with the Mickey and Minnie attraction. Um, so perhaps if we see what that's capable of in what is going to be a largely screen and projection-based attraction, it might have us change our tune here. Uh, I, now, beyond that, I don't think this is what Disney is doing, but let's say hypothetically the black box attraction is their means of satisfying the intellectual property push. And it means a return to more theme appropriate, original concepts or even uh, movie based concepts, but better fit the theme. This would allow them to quickly get attractions into the park while they come up with things that are better for the long term uh, and can be, you know, 30 year staples in a theme park. If that is true and it protects classic attractions from having IP shoehorned into them and irreversible, I guess I would be for that. But that's that's a little bit like right. When, it's it's reaching when there's forest fires and they like start other fires to stop the fires. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's it, when that starts happening, you're in you're in a bad situation. Um, so I hope that's not the case. I mean, it, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Finish your thought. I, I was just going to say that I. I some rides, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Toy Story Mania in a bit, but th- there seems to have been, in my opinion anyway, a better appreciation for the power of motion in the early mm-hmm. days of Imagineering. Um, there is something 
visceral or, or, or I'm not sure what the right word is, but impactful about putting people in a vehicle and moving them through a space. And um, when you can simulate that, but it doesn't have the same impact. So I, I still feel that we're in somewhat of a transitional period where some of the most creative people in the world are struggling to integrate screens, which, which can have a stationary observer appear to be moving somewhere versus how do you integrate that and synthesize it with static objects that people are being dynamically moved through? And I don't think they've nailed it yet. Um, I mean, I'm a technology lover and uh, I, I have been my whole life. So I, I, I almost find a little bit of conflict in myself when I, when I really rage on and say, I don't want to see any more screen-based interactions. But what I really don't want to see is just a, a, a cessation of innovation. I want to see, I don't want, I hope that just putting static screens there and driving you by them isn't what they view, uh, view as being the full embodiment of what that technology can be. Because I think back to attractions, even like uh, if you had wings and Delta Dreamflight, where they were using projections rather than, you know, you know, LCD-based screens. But it was it was used as a way to take relatively simple physical props and create a more dynamic real world around them. And to me, that was far more impressive in a lot of ways, even than these 4K and 8K, very large scale digital you know, CGI filled uh, images that we get today. So I, I hope we get to a point where we get the best of all of those worlds. Um, I'm not real sure that this makes me feel like that's a step in that direction, but you know, it, it would be pretty close-minded of me to say it obviously sucks without really knowing anything about what it actually is. Well, the thing that I think about also is the, the company has not been real great at projecting hit movies to build attractions around like in a timely manner, you know, something like right. frozen is such a massive hit and it takes a couple of years to get right. that attraction in there. If they're thinking of doing these in a real time manner that they're coming out, like when a film is, you know, in theaters, I fear like, you know, something like toy story four, all it's going to be is end up taking a 10 minutes, you know, maybe a five minute snippet from that movie. Uh, take the uh, scene that we've seen in the trailer with the Winnebago driving off down the street and Woody and the, 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 the little forky or whatever, chasing after it. I, I'm not sold that we're not just going to get that some version of that in the screen and our car moving along with it. It's almost like the uh, 10 minute previews that we see in yeah. the uh, in the parks already right now. It's a ride version of that, which that's yeah. not inspiring whatsoever. A ride version of the Cliff's Notes version of it, which is yeah, even, it's going to be a book worse. report. Yeah, and we've uh, we've criticized familiarity over quality here, and have often said that the two don't need to be mutually exclusive. But something like this is 100% playing on familiarity, no matter how they do it. There's no way that they can do this yep. with a quick turnover to be anything other than familiarity. And if it's if it, if this is the 12th attraction in Hollywood Studios, then all right, not a big deal. I really don't have an objection to it, especially if they will regularly update it every couple of years, and it is you know treated as nothing more than a, a seat ticket attraction that they just update to uh, get the latest and greatest uh, movie in there um, quickly. I don't really have objections to it conceptually. I just am not expecting it to be anything earth shattering once it's open. Um, and it needs the, the park needs that much more to do. Uh, so as long as this isn't intended to anchor the park every year where it's got a new attraction in it, that's, you know, a sea ticket equivalent, then the expectations can be reduced for it. But uh, I, I just want ahead. them to be truthful with what it's going to be because uh, I'm never going to fall for again that because of a ride being a, having a digital aspect to it, it's real <laughs> easy to switch out. I don't buy that at all. They no. have, they've, they've proven they can't do it uh, on several attractions already. So I have no reason to believe that something on a much larger scale, they're going to be able to pull off. 
we haven't hear, uh, heard them announce that for Toy Story 4 and Toy Story Mania. That was one of the promises that, you know, they could do that's, yeah, that's it. Uh, overlays. They've only updated it once with swapping out a single game uh, when Toy Story 3 came out. And I think they added a couple of characters in the uh, the practice game. But um, it, it's also hard for me when I when I I think of things like, uh, you know, the incredible explosion of popularity of casual gaming because of things yep. like the iPhone and Android phones and Candy Crush. I mean, those sorts of very simple, superficial gameplay type things, um, you know, as as kids who have grown up in a world that, you know, for their entire life, there's been such a thing as an iPhone. <laughs> I, I think that sort of experience is going to be very uncompelling to them. Probably. Um, so, it, you know, I can understand why on one hand the company would say that this might be a safer bet than, you know, spending several hundred million dollars on a more traditional attraction. But I would back them up and say, Look at the ones that have become timeless. It's not these screen-based things, and you know, of oh, course, absolutely. maybe history will, or you know, the future will eventually prove me wrong. But, but to me, uh, you know, and I, I know you picked up on this, but it's my my sense of charm. Mm-hmm. And even people who I think, I, I mean, I'm not a person who would walk up to you and say, "Hey, I like charming things." I mean, that's not how I describe myself. Yet there's well, something like sort of <laughs> indescribable about those old attractions that that uh, appeal to us just by virtue of the fact that we're humans. Um, and I think these screens are just somehow cold and, you know, they're ephemeral. You turn them off and they're gone. I mean, look at all the people. I mean, right now, backstage exploring has been a major topic in the news. Now, what mm-hmm. is it that makes people want to go backstage? You have to have a stage, right? There's something about these objects, these props uh, that compel people to risk going to prison to get them and, and compel other people to spend thousands of dollars to buy them once they're stolen. I mean, these physical things are making a huge impact on people as evidenced by the crimes they're willing to commit to touch them. So, so is this the motivation then? Do screen-based things so people don't steal shit? <laughs> <laughs> Mind blown. Yes, yes. Tim, you've nailed it. Josh said superficial gameplay on a screen-based attraction. Is he talking about the new ride going into California Adventure? Yeah, well, actually, I wanted. I was. I actually was Good thinking segue, about ben. that. Segway! Yeah, nailed it. <laughs> And, and uh, you know, I hadn't seen that footage until about five minutes before we started recording. But it, as we were talking about the black box idea, I was thinking: imagine if this attraction is a flop. Does is the take is this superstitious he, he segue, Ben? He's talking Millennium Falcon He's, and not Spider Man. He, he didn't get my signals at all. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm very but you, no, go go go, Millennium Falcon. That's good. <laughs> So Smuggler's Run, right? That's what I'm yes. talking about. Okay. Yeah, that's what you're talking that's, about. Just want to make sure I didn't have about, a stroke but... halfway through that sentence. <laughs> I mean, it, it's very video game-ish based mm-hmm. on what we've seen, and but it's also very expensive. So I, I just have to wonder, if that's a flop, does management walk away from that thinking, hey, you know, these sorts of, you know, high-end, you know, AAA title attractions, are, they're not worth it. We should go with something that we can change out if it doesn't resonate. Um, I sure hope not. With uh, Millennium Falcon, and then we'll touch on uh, uh, Spider-Man, I think from the outset... Now the, I get the segue. Sorry. The, the Rise of the Resistance attraction was always meant to be the anchor e-ticket. Uh, I think Millennium Falcon, even if, like, let's say worst case scenario, it's mission space. It still has the familiarity of uh, of the Millennium Falcon that's going to get people to go into it. And if it's if it has a permanent half hour wait, that's not the end of the world. So if it's mission space and it's a, it's a mediocre... CD ticket attraction. Um, it's still going to have 
the draw because of what it is, because it's the Millennium Falcon. So that's where they're playing up these movie-based attractions and why they are playing on familiarity. And it really, it might be that the assembled masses on this podcast say say it's one and done, that it's not really worth our time. Um, but if it still helps the masses do something, uh, they're going to look at it as, as a moderate success at that. So... Um, anyway, I, ju- I just I just fear with the uh, Millennium Falcon ride the, from the footage, the small footage we've seen. Obviously, you know, honestly, we haven't seen the entire thing, but just from that small clip, there's literally a dome simulator game at your local Dave and Buster's that looks exactly like that, and I expect more from Disney. So I I, I fear what we've seen there so far. Although every cast member that's been on it says it's the best thing they've ever been on. Interesting. It's awesome. Uh, that's and ju- I think I think we have to be a little bit careful there of having like sort of a meta failure because mm-hmm. we are looking at that on a screen as we sit here and say that screens can't convey things. So it is possible that when you're seated in that thing, that the experience is completely different because right. there are, there's motion, there's sound, there's the cue that you went through. So I, I do think that, um, you know, there's the, motion and emotion with that. that for sure. You and, can't uh, put into like a mission space. So I'm not right in it. <laughs> we have to be a little careful i think if because if we truly believe that screens have that much ability to convey an experience then we probably shouldn't be as uh doggish on them as we've been so i'd imagine we'd have similar reviews in hindsight of seeing flight of passage and josh you haven't been on that i yet, still have not been on it uh, <laughs> i'm out really here i'm on uh, i recently wrote indiana's cornfield experience though and that is quite something <laughs> difference than the indiana cornhole experience totally different <laughs> yes but a lot of a lot of screen based attractions cannot be replicated in a YouTube video. That's not really the best way to uh, uh, to view it. But uh, speaking of screen based attractions, Ben's actual transition was to Spider Man uh, going over to California Adventure, which Disney has not officially. I already yet. said I was sorry for screwing up the transmission. <laughs> I will never let you forget this. Uh, they have danced around this announcement, and blueprints show the layout of it, and it seemed eerily similar to Toy Story Mania. Uh, all we know is the blueprint layout. We know very little of the attraction, but it does seem to be almost like the universal approach. Put you in front of a screen, shake you around, make you do something in front of a screen, but the ride component is nothing more than a throughput mechanism and not really part of the storytelling of the attraction. Right, which is a complete waste of... you have. To, if you really got off that ride and asked yourself the question, why did they bother moving me? Yeah. Uh, I dare you to actually come up with a meaningful answer. I, I hope that there's more to it. I hope that these blueprints are something that is not even close to what's actually happening, but it looks like put you in front of a screen and presumably shoot a web shooter at targets. Um, and I know that what Disney has done for Marvel up to this point, we've got uh, very good reviews of mission breakout, which was an overlay. There's another one, Ben, where uh, yep. it is better. It's better than the original version out in California by oh, all accounts. Sure. Although I haven't, I've, I was actually asked specifically by Gary Hall to tell you that you Uh-oh. were wrong about that being better than Florida's <laughs> Tower of Terror. So I, I, I don't know. My don't work here is done. <laughs> I told him I'd work it in. You get you that tra- that that segue I didn't miss. Um, the the other one though, the uh, Ant Man and the Wasp overlay to Buzz Lightyear. Not that Buzz Lightyear was anything sacred, but the Ant Man and the Wasp attraction out in Hong Kong looks pretty awful. Um, and I don't know if you guys have seen footage of that, but it it looks sterile and vanilla uh and these types of screen based things and if you're going to do a, if you're doing a spider-man attraction you've got the high bar of one of the best attractions in the world over at islands of adventure 
And if you're going to go at it and go at it with a Toy Story Mania approach, that is not ambitious at all. Um, if you're going for Spider-Man, you got to go all in, and it looks like they're not. If only the guy that helped make that ride at <laughs> Islands worked for Disney. I know. And could have helped them out with coming up with something. Is that uh, Scott it, Trowbridge? Is that yes, it is. <laughs> yes. I, I'm just, uh, my mind was blown when I saw this blueprint. You like Exactly you said, you have that attraction still sitting over at Islands. It's almost as like nobody at Disney ever has ever been on it. I don't know if they even acknowledge that Universal's an actual park or anything. The problem that. is that their customers have been. So. Right, right. Well, so, yeah. I mean, base. talk about a ride that, you know, they've had the digital video upgrade to it. But even if they had never done that, it, it it's perfect. It, it didn't need any additional uh, upgrades or touch-ups or anything. The original that opened would still play today as perfect as it did the day uh, that park opened up. So, uh and for that to be sitting there and then do you you build a much more lackluster version of, of, of uh, an attraction based on that IP, mind blown. Yeah. yeah, it's I mean, and don't get me wrong, Spider-Man, technically, if you boil it down to its uh, uh, simplest components, put you in front of a screen, shake you around. That's what it is over at Islands of Adventure. But um, this looks to be even a more pedestrian version of that. And. Where, where I would say there's a distinction there, and I, I'm purely speculating here, but when I, I remember writing Superman, or excuse me, Spider-Man for the first time and being blown away, and to me, the impression I got was that they had an idea of how they wanted to tell that story, and oh, then they, they went out and figured out what technology to use to do it. Yeah. Versus, hey, we went to Sam's Club and we got 900 of these, you know, panels. How can we use them? <laughs> and you know, uh, you know, it's not Iron Chef where you have the magic ingredient is screen. <laughs> you know, and now go cook something for me. It's yeah. it's you know, let's make the most delicious recipe that we can, and then we'll go out and we'll get the ingredients. We'll we'll if we have to create new technology, we will. I mean, that's what it, real innovation is, and that's what all of the classic attractions were at the time. So it just doesn't seem to me like they're proceeding down a path that that has a real high likelihood of creating anything that's going to be, uh, you know, iconic thirty years from now. If this is uh, between this blueprint and like what they've done with Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is just, it looks boring. I'm sorry. It just straight yeah, up looks boring. Uh, I, I'm glad Disney doesn't have the rights to those characters out in Florida because I like what I have over at Universal and what they've done with them. So if that's the uh, quality that they're going to be turning out, again, also with the Iron Man ride, uh, it's a, a more basic version of Star Tours. Uh, there's, they have not done anything great except for guardians, which I love. And it's better than the, uh, tower in Florida. Um, <laughs> wrong. Damn, there's damn. one, one other comment I want to make on the Spider-Man blueprint that, uh, just occurred to me. And I, I suspect would it, would I be accurate in assuming that the reason that you two saw it and immediately thought that it was toy story mania was a section in the middle where it's the switchbacks back and forth to the right. Yes. yes. So I remember from a, from the time I was a kid going to Disney until when I went back for the first time 10 or 15 years ago, one of the things that amazed me the most was how disorienting rides were. And the fact that I couldn't tell you what the ride path was yeah. of the Haunted Mansion or of Pirates or of Spaceship Earth. It was just, it took you somewhere and you didn't know where you were going. And somehow magically you ended up, you know, either back where you started or at some other unload area. And I think that back and, you know, that go straight, make a 180 degree turn then go straight again, then make a 180 turn in the opposite and do that again. You know, that accordion path that's just so boring and straight. I think that is a big, big part of me as I sit here and think about it as to why that ride doesn't, why the motion of it is just so meaningless to me because it's just, it's taking me back and forth like a conveyor belt or something. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, the article d- does say that they're going to be likely eight passenger vehicles. So what I'm guessing is similar to Toy Story, you'll have front and back. Uh, so you might have four people across uh, yeah. front and back. So um, again, don't get me wrong. Anytime they build a new ride, I'm looking forward to it. But the uh, the efforts on Marvel uh, so far are kind of like Jim Hill's explanation for why the Fast and Furious ride sucks is like they they didn't put in want to put in a lot of dialogue they didn't want to put in a lot of heart to keep it simple and I mean they took uh, amusing characters in Iron Man and uh, uh, Scott Lang um, in the two attractions that they've built and kind of neutered them from a uh, there's no there's no jokes there's no real emotion attached to them other than the existing emotion that you already had to those characters so do you you remember the patent that was filed like a year year and a half ago that that we all thought was going to be the spider-man attraction where it was like the inverted kooka arm that hung from the ceiling that you swung back and forth making you feel like you swung across the uh rooftops of new york city that's the spider-man ride i want to ride yeah what's the ride over at universal that uses kooka arms um uh that's that's a very interesting and impressive experience the first time you ride it i mean there's definitely a lot to be done with that technology i think yeah invert that and put that on the ceiling and give you the peter pan type experience and and you're hanging underneath it and swinging back and forth and you have the feeling of flying around through the sky like spider-man you know that's that's the tech that's the innovation that we're accustomed to at disney not the you know we don't know if it's going to be like to- Toy Story, but based on this blueprint, it's it's very much like it. And it just seems like rehashing a ride system that they're already comfortable with, which I don't think any of us get incredibly excited about. So speaking yep. of Peter Pan, Ben, you want to go with the next transition? <laughs> I'm master of segues tonight. I did that on purpose. <laughs> so uh, they officially, they'd, they'd already teased new frozen Peter Pan entangled areas that were going to be combined over at Tokyo Disney Sea, uh, the number, uh, the amount of money that they're spending on this area that they're calling Fantasy Springs, uh, not Fantasyland, totally different by calling it Fantasy Springs, uh, is $2.3 billion. To put that in perspective, the Star Wars lands uh, are anticipated to be between a billion and a billion and a half dollars. So they're, they're spending serious money on this. Uh, I believe that number includes a new hotel, but it also includes four attractions, uh, a couple of restaurants, um, a really big expansion to that park. Uh, for people that are familiar with Disney Sea, it looks like this is going to be uh, accessed between uh, the Arabian Coast and the Lost River Delta in a current parking lot area, but it'll include Frozen, Peter Pan, and Tangled areas. And I believe it was uh, four attractions with three of them being boat rides. So given the budget, Probably safe to assume that at least one of those boat rides is going to be using that Shanghai Pirates tech. Uh, they're they're pouring a bunch of money into here, um, but uh, some people are are concerned that all right, this is more tunification of everything. Uh, if you know the audience, the Japanese people absolutely love Disney animated characters, and I get it. Uh, Disney Sea has some original concepts in it. But a lot of those original concepts aren't necessarily tied to water. They aren't necessarily even tied to the uh, other overarching themes of the park. I mean, they have the Indiana Jones Adventure, a very similar version to what they have out in uh, Disneyland. And there's no real tie to water there. Um, similarly, uh, 20,000 uh, 20, Leagues Under the Sea obviously has a tie to water, but Journey to the Center of the Earth doesn't really. So they've 
kind of strayed from the water theme uh, a little bit. And these particular properties, while they all play off of water, aren't necessarily focused on water. But the fact that they're making boat rides, I think we all love a Disney boat ride. So uh, I don't know if you guys are going to ever have the opportunity to get over there. I don't know when I'll be back over there, but um, I'm interested to see what they do. It's intriguing to say. This is on top of them getting the Beauty and the Beast ride. Correct. Right. So that Beauty and the Beast ride is going to Tokyo Disneyland. Right. They uh, are opening soon uh, a version of Soren, which it's going to be Soren around the world, but they've upped the theming of it so it looks a little bit more like Da Vinci's flying machine, and they're putting it in the uh, Mediterranean Harbor Coast section of the uh, of the park. So it's a little bit more. Uh, themed to Da Vinci, which again uh, plays off the exploration theme uh, over at Disney Sea. Uh, not, not that it's a surprise. I think any Disney fan would love Tokyo Disney Sea, but Ben, as a uh, fan of the Adventurers Club and the Society of Explorers and Adventures, that is played up there uh, on a subtle basis, but it's certainly played up there, and I'm sure we right up your alley. I just want to go to Japan for baseball. I can tell you all you need to know about it, that and pillows and uh, <laughs> toilets and everything else. Wait, you need to wait. Do. When you do plan your trip to go uh, for these new rides, you're going to go over all that on the e-ticket report, right? Like the yeah, planning yeah. again. Okay, good. Exactly. Uh, no, I'm, you know, that's four attractions there, five with the beauty and the beast. I'm, I love getting new YouTube videos of amazing attractions that we'll never get here in the States. So I'm excited <laughs> for these new rides. Yeah. So friend of the show, Olympia, I'll leave her last name out for her own good. She's the one who wrote the, uh, journal article about Tim mostly, but also a little <laughs> bit of Kingdom Cast. See what I did there, buddy. Um, she just went there. Uh, she might still be there, actually, but she's been posting a lot of pics of Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I was just blown away looking at those photos because that looks like the most pristine, clean, most 1971-ish Magic Kingdom photos I've ever seen. They've got the legit retro uh, futuristic version of Tomorrowland. And it's just, obviously there's a cultural difference there. I think I'm much more respectful people in general. Um, I would love to get over there, notwithstanding any of these changes, just because it almost seems like that place is a time capsule to, to some of the stuff that we truly love. Japan's my bucket list. So we, we will definitely be getting over there at some point. I, I cannot wait to go uh, experience the, the, the country, everything with it, but you know, getting that time in those Disney parks Everything I've seen, everything I've ever heard from a three-hour trip review, uh, <laughs> everything about that place, I've, I've just always uh, been fascinated with. So, uh, And if this means there's going to be some amazing new attractions I'll get to experience on my trip over there, uh, even the better. I know we uh, salivated over the audio animatronics that we've seen from the uh, Beauty and the Beast attraction on a few shows back. So if these rides... I mean, obviously, Japan is not afraid to go with the kind of traditional dark ride experience that we all love. Uh, so if we're going to get that with Rapunzel and get, you know, a better version of Frozen, not that I, I mean, I, I, I've admitted on here before, I like the version of Epcot, but if we're going to get a true uh, floor to ceiling imagining of that uh, attraction for that movie, even better. I'm interested to see what they do with Peter Pan, though. Uh I know we'll have the Pixie Hollow attraction and then the battle uh, ride where you're going with uh, against Captain Hook. Uh, very interested to see what they do with that concept that we haven't seen before in the parks. I, I just want for Tim to fly over there, wait four hours in line for Peter Pan, and then be terribly disappointed. That's, <laughs> that, would, that would bring me great pleasure. Nice to know you're nice and sadistic. Um, <laughs> I mean, the the general 
thing with with Tokyo is that there wasn't a single attraction that just made the trip. It was it was that overall experience. Josh, you said you uh, you saw pictures from there. The park is immaculate. The park looks like it's opening day everywhere. There are. It's great. The, the the maintenance is impeccable. You could eat off the street right after a parade. It really is impressive. Um, and it, part of that is the respect that the fans uh, show to the park. Yep. But it's also... The, the respect can only go so much. You need maintenance. You need operations. And it's because Disney has franchised this out to the Oriental Land Company, and they can hold them to a higher standard than they hold themselves. And... By Although I, I I tend to think that the Oriental Land Company is internally I, I I'm not even sure that Disney gets that much credit at this point, and I could be totally wrong here. I, I feel like this was probably the smartest move that Disney ever made. Probably, probably. I mean, these, these parks are incredible. I've said my hours and hours of uh, uh, fandom on these, um, and I I can't wait to go back. But uh, the the build that they're doing there, uh, they're putting, as we said, four new rides in Disney Sea. They've got Soren under construction right now, so that'll be the, the it'll open before this uh, Fantasy Springs area. They're doing a couple more additions over in Tokyo Disneyland as well. Um, they're they're pouring money into these parks, and they're not building cheap attractions. They're building mega e tickets with ridiculous budgets that shouldn't disappoint. So, hey, we're so, getting a be- we're getting a Beauty and the Beast sing along though. That's almost <laughs> the same thing. Almost the same. New pin kiosk. Stand by. Details at nine. <laughs> Do, so, does this expansion mean that the rumored Tokyo Disney Sky is dead? I don't think it means that it's dead. I think this is just uh, what they're doing first. Is there and room left? To, they definitely don't have the blessing of size there. They don't. Um, I don't know where it would go. I don't know the layout of everything that well there, but. Um, if they're willing to spend $2.3 billion on a single expansion to a park, if the if the demand is there for a third park, they'll find a way to make it work, I'm sure. Um, it seems like, not that money isn't, uh, is, is no object over there, but they seem to have it. And as long as fans keep going, those parks, we went during a quiet time of year. Actually, this time of year is relatively quiet over there. Oddly enough, they don't celebrate Memorial Day over there. I don't know why, but... Uh, <laughs> The, even then, your marquee attractions are still going to have 90-minute waits, um, and it's not for uh, inefficiencies. Uh, it's certainly just because of demand. So, And we, we knocked Toy Story Mania here. That was that was one of the big things when we were out there. The, Do the they celebrate J-Day over there? Is that, is that a no-no? Uh, I'm sorry, what? J-Day? <laughs> V-J-Day? <laughs> Possibly. They do. I don't know. Um Ben, you got to transition away from uh, whatever Josh's it, joke was. It's, 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 oh, go ahead. You don't know what that is, Tim? I don't know. Victory over Japan Day. Oh, used to okay. Be celebrated okay. in the U.S. Yeah, it's probably not. It's probably not heralded. <laughs> hey, hey, Tim. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like Tokyo's getting some rides based on some great movies. If only we had a great movie right here in the states. Wow. We're gonna rename you uh, Master of Segways as opposed to Ben, or we can call you Segway Ben. Segway Ben. <laughs> So you know the we, guy that invented Segway committed suicide by driving a Segway off a cliff? It's a that checks out. <laughs> Check Snopes. I wouldn't mislead you. We've said uh, this show is nothing if it's not educational, so thanks for that, Josh. <laughs> I tried to deliver something. Uh, ben, I think this originated from back on your Inside the Magic days, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, okay. uh, we, we had a little exercise uh, similar to what we're doing here. So... 
we, uh, I think, have spent the first eight episodes bitching about Epcot, so we've decided we need to move away from that. But Bitch about the studios. Yeah, exactly. Something we've all been consistent about is that it was a, it was a bit short-sighted to put the Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway ride inside the Great Movie Ride. They're simply going to not have the capacity once Star Wars Land opens, and having a uh, an update done to the Great Movie Ride, perhaps starting when Toy Story Land opened, would allow them to have that many more attractions in the park. If they were building Mickey and Minnie's elsewhere, you'd have Great Movie Ride with a major update. Uh, you'd have the Star Wars rides, and you'd really just have one more attraction that the entire family could do. So we were tasked, uh, we tasked ourselves with the responsibility of a redesign for Great Movie Ride where we'd probably keep some scenes the same, but we'd make some updates elsewhere. And uh, this was fueled by an idea that Ben had uh, at this point, probably five to ten years ago. So, why don't, Ben, why don't you kick us off with uh, with what you had for a thought for the Great Movie Ride redesign? Alrighty. Well, my first thought is a capacity issue, which I know Tim will have a major problem with. Uh, <laughs> but the, the the start things off, my thought is I want to do only one of the car trains instead of two. Uh, okay. You know, in the great movie ride, you had the two separate trains that stopped in the uh, Western and the gangster scene and met up at the at the end. I want to only do one that would load in the back position. The reason for this goes back to my Jungle Cruise days that I absolutely uh, hated at the time. They were more concerned with pushing people through the ride as opposed to the experience of the ride. So we were actually instructed that we could not take the boats off of full throttle the entire time unless there was an emergency ahead of us. We couldn't stop at scenes. We couldn't slow down at scenes to deliver better jokes. We had to go full throttle through the entire ride. So uh, it was the shortest ride experience possible. And that way they could push people through. I didn't, I never enjoyed that. I never liked that. And I feel on the great movie ride, if we go from two trains to one trains, yes, capacity is going to be cut in half, but it gives us the opportunity to do a few more things during the ride that can be a better overall guest experience. Okay. Tell me, tell me, I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, it was a, it was an operational. It was it was interesting operationally the way that they did that, where they basically had uh, a couple of hold points in the attraction with, as you said, the gangster scene and the uh, the western scene. Did you guys have a favorite with the, between those two? I didn't care. Uh, I was the gangster scene. Love the gangster really? scene. Okay. Yep. So for me, it was the western scene, and that seemed to be. Uh, and whether it's two thirds, one third, or fifty-fifty, I don't know. Uh, but my family was all—we were all a fan, a fan of the Western scene. And not to get too deep into my idea, I actually—I I kept the idea of two hold points, but I replaced the gangster scene with something else, but kept the Western scene. Um, I'm not opposed to limiting it to one, um, but. I think you one of the one of the reasons one of the motivations for doing this was to basically just have something else for you know the influx of guests to do for Star Wars. So that would be the uh, the hang up for it. And because we often criticize them for making major attractions with reduced capacity, uh, I don't think it would uh, truly cut the uh, the capacity in half, but it would certainly reduce it. But at the same time, Mickey and Minnie is being built at another spot in the park, sure. so there is extra capacity going in at another spot. No, that's 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 totally fair. Uh, I, as I said, I don't think that if you were to eliminate one of those scenes, you could still have more vehicles going through it and have a better overall show. Um, and I don't think you would do so at the total cost of uh, half the capacity. I think you could do it 
and find a way to make it so that it's not totally eliminating the uh, uh, full whatever it is, 2,400 guests per hour. Well, and don't forget, Josh is building seven black box buildings throughout the park. <laughs> also true. So also we, true. Can, we, can, uh, we can do this. Viewed from uh, the air, it just looks like a spilled box of Legos. <laughs> <laughs> so, so moving away from your uh, operational changes, what else would you like to do to the attraction? So the, 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 the pre-show, the queue, I would keep all that the same. Okay. Uh, I, I, I like going into the Chinese theater. I like uh, seeing the movie props and I like seeing the movie trailers that were up on the screen. I loved all that. Uh, so your first major change will be when you go into the load area where it is like a classic Hollywood uh, silhouette backdrop. Uh, you see the Hollywood sign in the hills and all that stuff. Uh, I would actually recreate the 1925 era Disney Hyperion Studios look, uh, the one that we've seen in the old black and white pictures that has the uh, billboard Walt Disney uh, Studios starring Mickey Mouse and the Silly Symphonies. That would be my kickoff point where you would load in an, a recreation of that area. Era. area. Okay. okay. I'm with you. All right. So uh, continuing on, you have any thoughts or anything uh, changes here? No, I, I'd say page? let's go through all of it. I, I, I like it so far. Okay, uh, so my first major change would be going up into the Footlight Parade area. Mm-hmm. In this spot, we would actually have audio animatronics. I haven't get your opinion on what you would do here. Uh, I want to kick this off with a young Walt and a young Roy or a young Walt and the nine old men standing around a projector and they kick on that projector and it, it, like an old movie reel starts playing and it's shooting across the vehicle into where the singing in the, in the rain uh, spot is or, or was in the attraction. Okay. I like and, it. I mean, this is a totally different approach than I was taking. So uh, I'm, I'm all for hearing the way that you play this out. And so over in the uh, spot where singing in the rain was, we would change that out. And my initial thought would be you would turn that corner and you would see Mickey Mouse in Steamboat Willie audio animatronic uh, is, as the projector is playing that film over across the other side. I also was thinking this is a perfect spot to take the uh, turntable approach from the carousel of progress, the little side stages. And you could, if, if it allowed for size wise back there, maybe put two or three different scenes from the early Walt Disney studios uh, uh, animated shorts or early uh, films and that's that table could actually rotate. So you could have the chance of a different experience each time you ride the ride. Okay. Would they be like full? Is it, would it be primarily projections of shorts or would you actually realize full? You would have a full of, I would have a full audio animatronic of Mickey in the steamboat Willie whistling along, spinning the wheel and you're getting that initial scene right there. Uh, And again, one thing I do have on this one, we do have a live uh, driver that is explaining the history of this stuff as we're going along. We are taking a much more kind of historic, kind of a historical slash uh, experience through the attraction, what movies mean to people uh, and and the impact they have on them. But we're, we're, I always loved when they would give the antidotes on the history of a film or the importance of a film or the importance of a scene that we're seeing. Now, one of the complaints, or not really complaints, one of the things that you'd run into on Jungle Cruises, you would have multiple jokes. You'd have multiple lines for every scene. However, in recent years with The Great Movie Ride, it almost felt like everybody was reciting the exact same script. There was no variation in those facts. There was no uh, derivation in the script from, from ride to ride. Uh, 
that's something at the very least, if you've got a spieling narrator, I'd love to see a little bit of uh, difference in those tra- in the uh, the facts about the rides. And you can come up with, you know, 50 facts about a movie. Um, any, you know, three of them would work. So that's yes. just one one thing that I've kind of put as a general thing here. If we're to keep a spieling narrator, I want a little more variability in the script. Yeah, uh, I, I like that. I did. I know within that script, they did have variations of the different facts that you could point out. Uh, from back when I was working there, I, I know I saw a script. That was actually one of my dream jobs. I really wanted to work the great movie ride uh, because I was, I'm still on my love film. I love movies. I love, I love that. Uh, I even like the TCM stuff when they made that transition over and in the uh, pre-show area with the, with the trailers, you got a lot of those facts in there as well. I found that stuff fascinating. So uh, yeah, the, the, the key point on any of these things is adding more, you know, as many of those points that you can put in there and given the host driver, the freedom to uh, pick and choose which ones they want to spiel during their ride. So getting rid of the operational changes aside, why don't we uh, move on from your replacement from the Footlight Parade scene? What would you do? I'm sorry, not Footlight Parade, uh, Singing in the Rain. What would you do with, say, the Mary Poppins scene? This is my first scene where I kind of slow things down a little bit that we didn't necessarily slow down before. Uh, Again, I wasn't necessarily taking out the Western or the um, uh, uh, gangster scene. I was making the capacity half so we could do spots, uh, stops in other spots that we didn't normally do uh, previously. So uh, I I like the Mary Poppins scene, uh, but this is when I would also tap into my new Fox library of films that I didn't have access to the first time around. And I've always felt, you know, on the right hand side, the, uh, the scene of Mary and Bert and singing uh, Chim Chimmer, like, Chim Chim Shuri, whatever. Chimmy Churi. Chimmy Chimmy Changas. I would leave that scene right there. But on the left hand side, which just had the silhouettes of the uh, rooftops, I would almost keep that a little hidden as you're pulling into that scene. And while everybody's attention is over at Mary, something curtains open, doors open, or whatever. Um, but on the other side, you would have Julie Andrews again in her classic scene that took place just a year uh, prior in The Sound of Music. Uh, very, very iconic, uh, historical film and, and, you know, very, very, uh, just an all time classic and a one that you have access to right now. So I would make this my little, uh, Julie Andrews, uh, tribute scene, uh, for better lack of uh, any other term. All right. I'm going to jump in here because we've got very similar ideas. Uh, so I, I actually was hoping you would go into what I was going to suggest here where we keep the scene similar, but switch it over to step in time. Uh, and have a Burt animatronic choreographed with projections along the rooftops. But I had uh, Sound of Music at the towards the beginning of it, uh, beginning of the attraction, I believe probably right around where you would have your waltz with a projector. And my logic was you'd have the hillsides uh, flowing from the load-unload area, and then you have a Julie Andrews animatronic um, kind of coming up over the hill and spinning. Um, and this, and you know, in deference to Footlight Parade, the spinning animatronic would actually work. But <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting that we're we're hitting the same movies, not necessarily in the same spot. But uh, apparently, it's just going to be the Great Julie Andrews ride more than anything. Which uh, you know, she's she's iconic to the Disney Company. I don't think there's any problem with that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, continue. 
Well, as we get into the gangster scene, I think this is probably where we take our biggest uh, left turn between ideas because I'm actually getting rid of the gangster scene altogether. Okay. Uh, I, I love it in the sense of uh, the original attraction, but honestly, you, you, there, there's, there's just a lot of generic stuff in there. Right. Uh, and I love gangster movies, but again, doing like a family attraction and something that touches a lot more bases than uh, just some of the old, you know, the old gangster movies that were somewhat safe. And then you have the new modern era of the Scorsese, uh, you know, De Niro, Pesci uh, gangster movies that have no place to be in a Disney attraction at all, you know, in in something setting like this. So I just thought for, uh, you know, the, the, to get around that kind of issue right there, we're going to go with comedies instead of gangster movies. Uh, And the first thing that we're going to do as we pull into this scene is we're going to see two icons of uh, Disney film, but we're going to see them in settings that we've not seen them before in the parks. Uh, On the left-hand side, I want to recreate the FAO Schwartz scene uh, from Big with Tom Hanks on the piano. Yep. And That'd be pretty, uh, pretty amusing. On the right-hand side where you had the James Cagney uh, audio animatronic, we're going to see Tim Allen in the Santa Claus. <laughs> okay. So we have Hanks and Tim Allen both represented, but not in the Disney you know, films that we're accustomed to you know, uh, putting them with the, these days. Can we have Woody and Buzz Easter eggs like somewhere in the scene? Like uh, yeah, oh, yeah. In the sports scene, you could probably put a, uh, like a toy uh, Woody and Buzz somewhere in that scene. No doubt. No, that would yeah. be awesome. So, uh, or under the Christmas tree and Santa Claus. Exactly. So, uh, keeping with the comedy and Christmas theme, and again, tapping into the new Fox library where the current gangster scene is right now on the left-hand side, we're going to have a recreation of the McAllister's house from home alone. And you're going to (laughs) have Kevin McAllister on the, the door uh, the, the, you know, walking up the steps, Christmas lights and everything. But on the right-hand side, we are going to keep the car. Uh, well, we're not going to keep the old, gangster car we're going to keep the uh the track that the car is on but it's going to be you know a uh, late 70s oldsmobile whatever it was in the film but you're going to have uh pesci and daniel stern in there scoping the house Their out van. yep yep the van <laughs> that's it uh scoping the house out like they were going to hit it and you're going to have your home alone scene uh again being part of the fox family that's now in there and it's that's it, an iconic movie uh Everybody's familiar with it. Everybody watches it every Christmas. Uh, and so I think it has a good shot to be represented here. Okay. I had it in my list of movies. It didn't make my final cut, but I certainly understand it being there. All right. So that takes us into the uh, Western scene. And let me check my notes. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. The Western scene again. Uh, the, the, the real interesting thing in this uh, exercise was going through the back catalog of Disney and Fox movies yeah, absolutely. and trying to find films that would really fit in here and try to keep it in the genres that were already represented in the attractions. So if I didn't have to make a huge change, I, I wouldn't have to uh, go back and try to find a great Fox or Disney Western movie. <laughs> there isn't one. The best There's I came one. up with was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid. And yep. even that that's a very loose yeah. Western yeah. Right, in right, the way exactly. it's done. It is so, represented currently in it in the uh, in the yep. montage. You've got them jumping off a cliff, uh, but now there really isn't an option. I, I had this scene staying exactly the same for that for that very reason. And see, I gutted it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, let me let me tell you right now, my great movie ride is going to be freaking expensive to do. <laughs> 
Spend but, budget is $2.3 billion for the great movie. Right we're here. saving so much money with the black box attractions that we can <laughs> splash it here. Um, and so here with, with the alien scenes coming up, I am leaving aliens as is. Okay. But I'm going to transition. That's where you're saving and, all the money. <laughs> I am saving all the money there. That, and you can't get rid of that Sigourney Weaver AA. It's just amazing. Uh, puts a shop in a song's a shame. Uh, <laughs> we're going to transition into space a little bit early, though. And we're going to take that large room for the Western scene. And we're, we're going to recreate a Star Wars scene in here. You could argue that Star Wars is a space Western. It is. It is. And the reason I this is going to be the original trilogy uh, Star Wars. I felt that there was a space in this great movie ride to represent those first three films because of Batu focusing so yeah. much on the new films. I felt that we needed something that had that original cast in here. Now, at first I was thinking you would create the Millennium Falcons, you know, in here in the cockpit and have Han and Chewie and Leia and Luke. But uh, since you're getting that experience already uh, across the street on an actual ride, I'm thinking we, you could do Death Star here. You could, you could do some other iconic scene, but mix in as many of those audio animatronics uh, of the key characters from the film as possible in a setting and use that large space to, to give Star Wars some love. I certainly I, I had Star Wars as an option. I think I actually put it in the Tarzan scene, but I'm 100% with you that because they are gravitating towards the newer trilogies with what they're doing in Batu, absolutely. If you're going to put Star Wars in there, you have to go with the original trilogy. Yep. So we're going to go through uh, Star Wars, and then we're going to transition into Alien, okay. and we're going to leave it as is. Okay. You don't want to update Sigourney Weaver. No, I can't change everything on this ride, can I? <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so we're going to keep Alien as is. We're also going to keep the Indiana Jones scene as it is. Okay. Uh, again, being part of the family and everything that every other criteria that I had in my own personal box for uh, movies that would make it into this update, uh, Indiana Jones checks every one of those boxes. So we're going to leave that as is. We're just going to add the Shia LaBeouf audio animatronic. Naturally. Uh, he's going to be swinging in the vines. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no. The next scene that we're going to change, though, the tomb scene. We are going to get rid of the tomb. Okay. Reason being, that, and this has bothered me ever since, uh, you know, the, the last years of the ride. It, it seemed like when the attraction first opened, the effect in that room was much more believable. The smoke was much more billowing. There's, I there's less smoke now. Yeah, it, you could when when it got to the point that you could see the cast member changing out of the uh, Egyptian suit or whatever it was, uh, it, it just lost all the appeal and the effect of that in there. You could see the door swinging around. They just didn't care for it anymore. So we're going to get rid of this scene again because it's not attached to any film uh, whatsoever there. But what we're going to put in this spot is we are going to uh, recreate the Morag scene from the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy. And okay. we're going to have Star-Lord stealing the Power Stone. So we're still going to have that kind of a tomb feel. We're going to have that adventure feel. But we're going to have uh, Star-Lord in there and, and represent Guardians of the Galaxy in that film. Now, in your version of this, there's no swapping of... Uh, no swapping. Uh, okay. Nope. Nope. No swapping. Okay. Uh, and also on this one, I want the... Uh, I want the the driver to recognize the actor in that famous role. So, okay. you know, when we get in the, the Star Wars scene, it's going to be as as the, the driver is introducing it. The final thing they'll say is, you know, here's Harrison Ford as Han Solo, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, uh, 
in their mo- in their iconic film empire strikes back or whatever yep. you know it's gonna be very we're gonna call out that person and call out their uh character and call out the movie each time we pass by there's not going to be any assumption that you should know what this film might or might not be i feel they did that historically for the most part for the well yeah it, it, but sometimes they would just reference the films like they didn't like did the clint eastwood actually reference a specific no, film in that specific role and the john wayne didn't do that i want this it's it's more about the film than opposed to the actor, but the actor still needs that recognition for making that film famous. Okay. So any issues with Guardians being represented? No, I mean, my my note for that scene was uh, I'd like to replace the scene, but I didn't have a solution. So that that is a solution, although my version of the attraction still has a uh, villain hero swap. So anyway. It's a phenomenal change. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I love Guardians, so... <laughs> All right, here's where we're going to go off the rails a little bit, though. We're, the zombie scene, the, okay. the, the zombie tomb. Since we've gone from one Marvel attraction, I would uh, Marvel movie, I don't know if we'd have the rights to this. I highly doubt we will. I know it's part of the X-Men family, uh, but I would do everything possible to bend the rules if we possibly could. I would transition into a short Deadpool scene. Okay. And the fun part on this one, yes, the, a good movie, idea. the movie's R-rated. The movie is not uh, family-friendly. But the thought here is you're having a Deadpool scene, but Deadpool recognizes the car going by and it breaks that fourth wall by starting to address you. He's okay. looking at you going, man, I must be a fan. My movie must be really famous. I'm part of a Disney ride now. This is amazing. Yeah. You know, it's just doing that whole uh, very meta comedy. And self-referential. I think yeah. yeah, self-referential. And it's, it's Deadpool realizing, holy cow, I must be popular because I got my I'm on a Disney ride now. And and I think it could be a very funny, funny part in this attraction, especially if you give him a few different versions of, of those lines to say yep. uh, as a AA figure. And again, if you've got him like you could have him sitting on a uh, on a ledge or something like that, just swinging his legs, a relatively primitive animatronic. And all he has to do is move his head and just spout off, you know, five different lines and you get a different one each time. Yeah. And uh, that, that works. Yep, something that, that this is a point where I know we didn't have any uh, character switch outs like the gangster or Western scene, but even Deadpool could interact with the the driver at this point and yeah, say, 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 say something interesting about my movie, how much money I made. I made a billion dollars. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Something very funny along there. So, uh, again, don't know if they'd ever have the rights to do that, but I would that's one I'd try to figure out a way to make it work. Okay. Then we push into the George of the Jungle scene, which I think for me, again, <laughs> My notes say just make the AA Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Tarzan. Sorry. I, did, I actually did write George of the Jungle down in my notes, in my five pages of notes. Uh, Tarzan. Uh, this just leads itself perfectly into the Fox property of Planet of the Apes. Okay. Uh, and those movies, whether you represent the, the classics, which I think you could maybe do on – you could do, but the new films have been so good, and they've made a ton of money, and they, they're – uh, they're very popular when the new ones come out and it doesn't look like you're going to stop anytime soon on those as well. Uh, I think you could do the new Caesar and, and do a really cool, uh, realistic take of planet of the apes in this room. I swear Ben and I didn't work on these concurrently. Uh, I had planet of the apes. I did. I went with the original Charleston Heston version, uh, earlier on on the ride. So again, we're, I mean, we both went through the uh, attraction or the movie libraries of Fox and Disney and just kind of picked and chose what we wanted. But uh, the fact that we are hitting on pretty much the exact same movies, just in different spots is, uh, is kind of interesting. This is where things fall apart a little bit. 
<laughs> uh, we get to the uh, Casablanca scene. Okay. And I, I didn't have a great spot for right here. The the one thing I thought we could maybe touch on was some of the new live action Disney films. I didn't really want to do too much of the animated films because of them having their own attractions all over. But they, I I do think there's definitely some room for representation here. And I do a little bit in the following scene. But recreating maybe something with the ballroom scene from the live action Beauty and the Beast could uh, have a spot here. Uh, you can maybe even doing something from the Jungle Book or, you know, depending on how the new Lion King ends up doing, uh, making a making a little cutout. The Lion King actually might be a real good one from as you transition from Planet of the Apes into another uh, jungle type film uh, in, in this relatively small space that we have something to, uh, that we need to put something in there. I'd argue you don't need to replace Casablanca. Uh, I'm going a little bit off the trying to get away from anything that's that you have to have uh, pay, pay a rights fee for. Fair enough. So that was my only reason. I love Casablanca, one of my favorite movies of all time. But if rights fees and paying for stuff to be in this attraction was part of the reason for it to maybe go out at one point, I was trying to do it as cost prohibitive as possible, especially with the uh, libraries that they currently have at their disposal. Okay. So the the Fantasia scene transitions into a very similar scene again. You, You just need something fast and quick. And this was my references to Disney animated classic films. Actually, you don't even have to do Disney animated uh, per se by itself. You could definitely do Ice Age. You could put some scenes in that uh, and from the, the Fox animated library as well. But using that screen base to kind of just get people to point up and look as we get ready to take them into the big grand finale. Uh, well, not, not the grand grand finale room, but the final major show scene. Uh, it was just a quick transition for me going into that. Okay. Are you keeping Wizard of Oz the same or no? Again, taking them out because of uh, not owning that property. I was taking them out. Okay. Uh, I, my initial thought back when I did this practice with Ricky many years ago was this scene would be the Toy Story scene. And you would be in Andy's bedroom. Uh, this room is so, so, so large uh, that I felt that you could recreate it to make it feel like you were the size of a, a green army man, essentially. So you have a massive bed, a massive desk, a massive toy chest. Buzz and Woody are eight feet tall each. Rex is 18 feet tall. And you represent all the characters on both sides of the car, uh, recreating the scene where Buzz and Woody meet for the first time. Uh, I think that could still work really well right here, but having Toy Story Land right outside the uh, right behind this building, I don't know if that's too much Toy Story in in, in the park. So if that's the case, my other alternative um, was, you know, you, you obviously you can't use the Avengers. There's several several Marvel properties that would work really well in a scene like this, but uh, being realistic with the uh, rights agreement with Universal and not having access to them. Uh, there was a film that you do now own that uh, is not Avatar, but uh, was up there with the greatest box office hits of all time. And I thought about recreating uh, the deck of the Titanic in this okay. room and using the walls as digital walls to recreate the, the boat sailing, uh, almost using some of the projection uh, that you see on the Shanghai Pirates uh, version out there. But you're on the deck of the Titanic, recreating that, make that room very, I don't know. It's a nighttime setting. Have the have the chill of the ocean air blowing against you as you uh, go across it, and then as you move forward to where uh, Dorothy and all of them are looking at Oz, uh, you would have Jack and Rose recreating the you know edge of the the the, the nose of the Titanic on the. Or I'm sorry, just Jack. Not Why Rose, not the but, couch scene? Uh, that's for the after hours party <laughs> that you have to pay for. 
but doing the I'm the king of the world scene at the nose of the Titanic in that small space right there. And they could have character arts in the uh, in the gift shop like that will draw you like one of the French girls. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the animators that uh, that lost their jobs to the Star Wars launch bay, they uh, put them to, put them to <laughs> use over there. Perfect. So, and then that takes us into our grand finale scene, which I've talked about before in the past. And I would keep this idea there instead of uh, showing just a movie and the greatest scenes uh, of all time on that, on that uh, movie screen, you would keep that movie screen up there, but on the uh, sides of both sides of the tram, this is where I would put 20 to 25 audio animatronics of different movie, uh, different actors and their greatest roles of all time, kind of stacked on both sides of you. This is, one of the most expensive scenes Disney will ever create on an attraction, but I want it overloaded. Uh, you know, if you could get Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark and figure out a way to put that in there, that's what I'm talking about is putting these actors, they're standalone. They're almost just looking at you type type deals. It kind of reminds me of how like at the uh, end of the American adventure with the curtains pulling back and you get the good views of the statues exactly. lining up next to you. You do the same thing with audio animatronics on both sides of you classic films from the Disney Fox library, but the masterpiece the the grand finale at the end is in front of you in front of your car that you'll pass by as you go to the exit area is the old version of Walt. So the attraction starts with the young Walt and it ends with an old version of Walt waving to you as you're leaving. And uh, that's my update to the great movie ride. Well, I think you'll find that my thoughts are similar but it's going to take a little bit longer for me to go through them. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> was, that a, was, was that a shot at me? <laughs> I listened to two Tim uh, trip reports in the time that it took me to go through that. Well, I can, uh, I can do my run through in uh, uh, less than uh, two hours and 45 minutes, but I want to hit on a few things that you said. Uh, I think that we've seen Disney already do this. And just uh, in addition to what you said about putting animatronics like a reveal like you have in either the Hall of Presidents or um, uh, any other animatronic-driven stage show. Something like Iron Man, or if you had to do this, Doctor Strange, you can have him descending from above. You could have him like showing his repulsors, he lands, and then like the face, uh, uh, face lifts up, and you get to see Robert Downey Jr. underneath it. Um, so things like that, where if you've got a dark enough scene, which you do there, you can hide a rig where you basically have him coming down from above. But you could also reuse some of the things that are being move, uh, removed. So you could uh, you could have Tarzan swinging in the background when you lift up a, uh, a curtain. You could have James Cagney return or some of the Footlight Parade figures return there. Yeah, for sure. So we hit on a lot of the same attractions. I just want to the the. I will also go scene by scene, but I will do it much quicker uh, because I don't need to get into detail on a lot of this stuff. Uh, Load, unload. I wanted to keep the area largely the same, but maybe put a little bit of animation in the hills. So perhaps have characters from famous movies uh, projected and pop up uh, periodically as a bit of like an Easter egg um, uh, at, at the outset. Uh, but then I'd go directly into Sound of Music, as I said. Uh, you can kind of have the hillside transition from one that looks a little bit cartoony, like you have in the uh, entrance, into one that looks a little bit more uh, realistic. Uh, so your scene two, Footlight Repl- uh, Parade, I've got it replaced with Sound of Music. I keep Singing in the Rain the same. I keep Mary Poppins the same, uh, although I like Step in Time better than that. My biggest change is in the underworld scene, where instead of the kind of generic underworld gangster movie. I've got this as Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, the where they currently have the car coming out, I've got the Boulder Chase, and our driver is Indiana Jones. Uh, I think that 
You've got the villain here as his like pseudo sidekick uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the villain is the one that takes over, the one that kind of flees the temple ahead of him. And that's also on brand once you get to that jewel swap scene where that guy would also be motivated by a jewel uh, at the top of it. So I'm effectively replacing the gangster scene with an Indiana Jones scene. And much in the same way that you wanted to have Deadpool um, break the fourth wall, they kind of do that already with these scenes where they say it's a bunch of rubbernecking tourists. I think you could probably get away with... uh, version of this where you don't have um where you're not doing the boulder chase you're doing the western which i'm keeping the same you could have indy make a similar comment about taurus he does it over at indiana jones adventure in california uh, and you could probably have him do the same thing mm-hmm. so the fact that i'm putting Raiders of the lost ark here i have uh the uh current or the the, the uh, original raiders of the lost ark scene later on in the ride i put a planet of the ape scene there when it gets to the generic horror movie, I just threw a bunch of movies out here. I, I like your Deadpool idea. Uh, I also thought uh, I was trying to find a segment of Pulp Fiction that's you know <laughs> that would actually work in a Disney ride that doesn't have you know 17 f bombs in it. I think the best course of action might be the car scene about burgers, but uh, I like the idea of a Deadpool scene there. I- I kept all Weinstein movies out for fair enough. That's a good purpose. point. Yep. The Tarzan scene, uh, you can swap it out with Brendan Fraser, keep it the same. Uh, and it, I mean, there's a bunch of things that can be done there. I threw out, if you could get it, Avengers Endgame, Final Battle. I could put a Star Wars scene there if I was keeping Aliens, uh, Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia. Some of those require getting the rights. Uh, I was keeping Casablanca the same. Uh, I thought that the original uh, concept for Wizard of Oz, where they were going to have a longer twister scene that led into that final Yellow Brick Road scene, was something that we could attempt to recreate uh, with today's technology. And naturally, we would also put a James Franco animatronic in there just because. So hot right now. (laughs) Then it brings into uh, Ben's idea for the animatronics in the final scene, and I love that idea. And that's kind of what fueled all of this. I like the uh, the combination of animatronic reveal with the uh, the video montage that goes along with it. So, Josh, which ride do you want to ride more? Go now, go. <laughs> My own. We Damn opened, it. We open with a tribute to Freddie Got Fingered. <laughs> we transition into the hostel scene. No, Daddy, <laughs> Daddy, do you want some sausage? And we could tie that into the keyboard reference that you've got from Big. See, it's all this is true. So, no, on a serious note. Um, I don't have nearly as much to contribute as you guys. I think you knocked it out of the park. I, I think the, the problem I see with that attraction um, is that I, I think it's hard to not just go with classic films. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a huge film buff currently, so I, I liked that ride. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool. I remember it from a childhood, but it's not one that I loved. Um, and, and all I did in preparation for this was I went on Rotten Tomatoes and I looked at the 100 top rated movies of all time. Um, and it seems pretty clear to me that that was a pretty strong inspiration. Uh, you know, you guys pulled from that, the yeah. original attraction pulled from that, uh, ones I saw in there and, and we definitely had some overlap and I, I did not constrain myself by looking at who might own these things or who the original producers were. Um, I had Titanic on mine. I had psycho Frankenstein, Mad Max. <laughs> You're uh, in a lot of universal movies. There. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, but you know, th- some problems could be solved with money and those, yep. those tend not that those, not that a deal could necessarily be struck, but, um, I did you know, have young I, Frankenstein listed, which is something that they could do, but yeah, 
I, I, mean, I was looking at History of the World Part One, which is a Fox uh, Fox film, but I don't think relevant enough to the uh, non super hardcore Mel Brooks fans. Yeah, fair enough. Inside anyway. Out was on the list. That's one certainly they could do. Okay, you know, I it, it's an interesting thought experiment, but I, I feel like if you go. It's almost one of those things in my mind where if you start putting any contemporary, like I think even Alien flirted with this. Um, I probably did because you get you get into the more contemporary movies, and I don't know how to define that, but movies that came out within your lifetime, which is you know the world gets younger and younger compared to me, that gets that even that's you know not static. It's almost like well, then you have to update it. But yeah. if you stick with the true classics, you know from the 30s, 40s, uh, then maybe you don't. So I, I think it's a tricky one. The one thing that I would do, which is directly in conflict, conflict with what Ben said, is I would have removed the live cast member and replaced it with like a really good audio animatronic. Um, okay. But I I totally get why a lot of people would not want to do that because there you know it is about movies and there is something to be said for having an actual performer up there. I just like robots. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So in in doing that, you'd also uh, eliminate any of the changeover with a villain. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would do this car, all actually. with all with co- computers and animatronics, and it would be, you know, much less human. Fair enough. I think the interesting uh, thing you'll maybe take away from this as well, though, as uh, Josh breaks my balls on how long my report <laughs> was. As this show progresses and we move along and and get to episode you know fifty and a hundred and who knows how long we go along. You're going to learn more and more that Disney Hollywood MGM Studios is my classic Epcot. This this is my park. This is the one that I love more than anything. If if they were to uh, tell me, you know, we can take out, we can have the park going in as it is, Mickey and Minnie, or and have Star Wars, all that stuff, or we can revert it back to the way it was when it opened. There's a chance I would take that and go back to the way it was. I love the way I grew up with this park. I love the old superstar television. I love the monster sounds show. I love everything. It's what I fell in love with. It was, it drove my life and my career. So, uh, you know, that for the record, I, and I, I appreciate that, but I think that I almost view that as being so insane that I view it as uh, a demonstration of how irrational our nostalgic connections are. And I, I don't in yeah. any way mean that to be insulting. No, but like yeah, to it, me, that was a park that you're never an idiot, but I don't mean to me. insult you. Yeah, you son of a. With all due respect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that park just never connected. It seemed like to me it never had the the flow. It was always just I I it, even as a youngish kid, it struck me as being a moderately decent copy of Universal. And this was my first exposure before Universal, so maybe that okay. taps into it a little bit. The law of primacy, but you know, it, it, it's you, we never know what is going to strike an emotional chord with people. That's the great thing about going in and making, talking about the old stuff, talking about the new changes. I mean, there are some idiots out there that think that Africa, the animal kingdom is the greatest thing ever be built in a theme park. Uh, and so I'm just going to let it, let that go. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't talk about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. That, so as we do more experiments down the line, don't get me wrong. I love Epcot. Uh, I, I love everything that we've always talked about. I love the you better. The, I love the classic side of it, but again, for some reason, that first time I stepped foot inside Disney MGM Studios, my eyes were wide open, and they've stayed that way ever since. I think uh, this is a good area to wrap it, but I would certainly uh, encourage our listeners to join us in the conversation over on Facebook.com slash groups slash Marty called scenes that you would swap out, maybe movies that we didn't discuss. 
Ben and I gravitated towards the uh, Fox and Disney owned properties, but you don't necessarily have to do that. Um, think about the transitions between the uh, the lands as, or the uh, the scenes as well. That's not something that we necessarily focused on on here. I think it was more a matter of trying to get our uh, uh, selections into the attraction as we could shoehorn them in. Um, this attraction, if you are going to pick and choose things, and it really lends itself to perhaps uh, a group effort. And we've encouraged this in the past, but perhaps we do come up with like a definitive list of what we want scene by scene this attraction to be. And uh, that's over on facebook.com slash groups slash Marty called, or you can message us on Twitter, but I think the Facebook group is uh, is a better suited for this type of discussion, but Twitter is at Marty called. Yeah. And on Twitter, it's real easy to let Tim know that my version's better. Just use hashtag Ben is better. Uh, to let him know that my that's mine's the one that you'd want to rather ride. It certainly was longer. Son of a. <laughs> Going to Japan anytime soon, sir? Yep. What do you want to know? Uh, ben, where can we find you on uh, on the Googles? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Real Skipper Ben, uh, and you can also find my top ten columns in each issue of Attractions Magazine. Josh, other than Ashley Madison, where can we find you? Well, uh, there, of course, but also <laughs> at utilidors.com. That's U-T-I-L-I-D-O-O-R-S. Second O for savings. Uh, I will note, however, in the uh, arrest affidavit for uh, Backdoor Disney, the sergeant or whoever, the police officer that filled that out, spelled utilidors the same way that I did. So hopefully <laughs> that will drive some traffic to my site. Uh, Probably sure. not. Crap, I, mi- I missed this collect call earlier. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get them on the next episode. <laughs> uh, and you can also find me at WDW Theme Parks on Twitter. I think that wraps it up for episode nine. Have a good month, guys. Good night. See you next time. <laughs>